to Conversations As You Go. It's really fun to uh, be here today with a dear, dear friend, a father in the Lord, a mentor, someone who has uh, blessed my life and poured into me, Stuart Robinson. Uh, I first met Stuart uh, in the 90s, actually, as we were running conferences with Ed Silvoso in the city of Melbourne and drawing churches together, and Stuart was a father in the city. Uh, an elder. By way of introduction, Stuart has been a uh, missionary, he has been a pastor, and has grown a very significant church here in Australia, which you'll hear about. So welcome, Stuart, to the podcast. Good to join you, Dave. It's really, really great to have you here. And Stuart, uh, I'm, I'm just really keen that we go back into your, your story and hear uh, all about how God formed you to bring you to where you are today, pouring into uh, people around the globe, being a, a key voice in the world of mission to Islam and churches and, and also DMM, discipleship. So really um, great, to, great to end up in this series of podcasts. Tell us a little bit about how God can take an Aussie and uh, use them to make a kingdom impact. Well, Dave, I grew up in a, a typical Australian family, I guess, uh, where God was not known, not mentioned. Um, I wouldn't say my parents were atheists. It's just that we had no religious uh, training, if you like, in our family. In fact, I did a trace through the generations of my family on the uh, paternal side, back through five generations, and couldn't find uh, a trace of a Christian anywhere. Uh, so we had nothing there. And uh, I, I grew up in that sort of background. Oh, I, I, my grandmother used to take me to a Sunday school when I was a little tyke, and then a little bit later I went myself. But it was sort of a casual thing because in those days that's what kids did. Their parents would send them off to Sunday school to get them out of their hair for an hour on Sunday morning, but not much of that rubbed off. And so uh, I came into my teens years, and uh, our home wasn't a very happy home, uh, it was uh, characterised by violence and poverty, and I guess in these days, uh, if government had known about the sort of life we had, they probably would have um, taken us into care, <laughs> uh, taken us away from our parents perhaps. But uh, that's all we knew, and uh, I ran uh, with local gangs and got in, got into not too much serious trouble. But um, it wasn't until uh, later in my teenage years I, I met a fellow who I, I didn't understand, but he was so different from everyone else. He was a, a thoroughgoing believer. And uh, I started to discover that when he took me home to his place for dinner and uh, we sat there because we were a very impoverished family. family. Um, we were always scrounging for food and so forth. And everyone where we live left school at 14 and went to work as labourers in mm. abattoirs and mm. things like that. So education uh, wasn't high on our agenda either. And um, mm. in this family, I still remember the first time I sat there at the meal table and the food was put on the table and I was into it. Wow, this was good. And I looked up and uh, found that everyone had gone to sleep. They sat around the table with their heads bowed and hands on the table. And I thought, what's happened? And then I saw this 
sign on the wall which scared me woodless. It said that Jesus Christ is the unseen listener to every conversation, the guest at every meal, etc., etc. Whoa, what's that mean? So uh, my friend's name is John. We're still friends today. And uh, John later on invited me to a... Um, uh, to the cinema on Sunday night. And now in those days in the city of Brisbane where this happened, there were no cinemas operating. In fact, nothing opened on a Sunday. The only thing that worked was the, the light bulbs uh, in the street lights, unless I'd smashed them. And so, yes, I'll go to the cinema. So I went to the cinema with him, but there was no movie. There was this guy up on the platform preaching, and I couldn't understand what he was saying using all the typical Christian jargon. But two things he said got my attention. One was, uh, we'll give you some literature to help you to understand. And it's free. Wow, I'll get anything free. If you put your hand up, he says, to receive Jesus. I didn't know, even though he preached, I didn't know what receiving Jesus meant. And then my real motivation for putting up my hand was I wanted to impress the most beautiful girl in the suburb that I was sitting next to thinking, because now she's a Christian, I'll get a kiss out of her tonight if I do that. Important point there, you know, it doesn't matter the motives that we have in coming to the Lord. He'll take whatever little bit we offer him and he goes to work on them. I didn't get the girl, but God got me. And and the, the pastor who met me that night, he said, now you've got to go to church, you've got to read a Bible, you've got to witness, and you've got to pray. But he never told me how to do those things. So uh, mm. I, I just got stuck. I won't go into the trials and traumas of trying to implement those things uh, because I was sincere. I wanted to, I guess, connect with God. But uh, that's where I was stuck. And even then, though, the moment I made that commitment on that night, a, a, a welling up within me occurred, a clarification that I was to be a preacher, a pastor. Don't ask me how that happened, but it's one of those things Paul talked about, how how God sort of uh, had had his eye on him even while he's in his mother's womb. From his birth, he was called, mm. and that was my experience too. And... Uh, so I resolved that even though I wasn't growing and doing anything much, my personality carried me through in no time flat. I became the a leader of the young adults in that church, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, But later on, I applied to go to ministry and uh, a theological college. And there you sit in the college and you learn all about what the famous scholars say about the Bible, but that wasn't much either. So there I was uh, stuck there, spiritual inside, hungry, desperate, getting a lot of knowledge, mm. but going nowhere really until um, Billy Graham's uh, pre-crusade counselling team came to our city and the guy who was leading that, uh, as I later learned, wherever he went, he always prayed that God would lead him to one person with whom he could meet. He was a, a thoroughgoing, very experienced disciple maker, and he connected with me. Just a young fella in the crowd of all of those who were going along to learn about what happens in Billy Graham crusade sort of things. And he started to meet with me while he was in town, and he was there for six weeks. And uh, then when he went back to the States, he kept meeting with me you know, through letters. We didn't have the communication we have today. And then when we had to roll that over, he introduced me to a local pastor in in Brisbane, whom he knew was a thoroughgoing discipling pastor. 
And so this guy mm. agreed to take me on. And after that, we met week by week by week. And at last, I started to learn how to read the Bible, how to pray, mm. how to witness, the importance of obedience, scripture memory, all of those fundamental lessons which you never got in your local church or and certainly you don't get it in Bible colleges or theological colleges. Everyone assumes you know all about those things. So that's where I learned uh, the concept of discipleship and that changed my worldview significantly. And I still remember wow. uh, at the ordination service in the Brisbane City Tabernacle, which was in those days the Baptist Tabernacle up there, funny name for a church, but that was the largest church in the state and the largest Baptist church in uh, Australia. Uh, it had a seating capacity of oh, 600 people. Wow, that was so impressive. And at that ordination service, each of us ordinands were given two minutes to speak. And I said, uh, I am going to make disciples who make other disciples, who multiply. <laughs> and uh, I, I spoke on that for two minutes. Nobody understood what I was talking about because <laughs> I was asked about it later. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so that was, uh, if you like, the, the launch pad of my rocket <laughs> of how I would conduct ministry and what I would do with my life ever after. Wow. So really... Your journey from just a, a poor um, country kid, um, a poor poor kid or country town, and um, to discovering Christ with a relational connection with a family, and and then really not making sense until somebody sat down with you and and um, just started to open the Word and started to pray with you and uh, planted discipleship as the the key cornerstone, I guess, of what it was to follow Christ, even compared to going to church or even going to Bible college, uh, didn't didn't do that. Um, it's so often assumption, isn't it? It's so often assumed that people will understand what we mean or we just say it, but it's not not understood until it's modelled and lived. Yeah. Well, you see, when you become a new Christian, I remember it vividly, no one tells you what to do. So what you do, you model on whatever you see. And uh, as I went to uh, the nearest church, I quickly saw that the most important people were those who dressed in nice suits on Sunday and wore a tie. That's what you did back then. And uh, so I went out and bought a suit. Didn't have any money, but I, I bought a suit, a secondhand suit at auction for five shillings. <laughs> so, so now I was, I was clothed like the other Christians were. And then I noticed that the most important people in the church, they all had the biggest Bibles. They were black Bibles. They had gold around. <laughs> so I saved up my money and went to the one Christian bookshop in the city of Brisbane and I bought the biggest black covered Bible I could and you, you do these things because you say you look at it and say well that must be what what a Christian does and then I noticed mm. again uh, the most important people were those that had the best jobs all right well uh, I'll study I'll go to university as a night student I didn't have the money to be a day student I had to work to support the family but uh, so mm. 
I, I uh, enrolled in psychology because I thought, well, I'll make a lot of money and uh, I'll be like all the other good Christians. Everything that a, a new believer like me does, we look at others and we follow whatever they're modeling for good or bad. Mm. But, of course, mm. that doesn't help much with your inner life because you don't see these people who are perfectly good people, but you don't see them uh, Personally, reading their Bible, or personally sharing their faith, or or uh, you know any of the building bricks of uh, of Christian life. So you get it on the surface, and you attend all the meetings. And I was so zealous, I even went to the midweek prayer and Bible study meeting. I'd spend the whole of Sunday in church, which was a stupid thing in hindsight because it aggravated my parents because uh, mm. we had a small crops farm, and we all had to work on that farm and. And I would escape all the Sunday labor by saying, I'm going to stay in church all day, thinking I was doing the impressive thing. But in fact, I look back now and it was stupid. Yes, I should have gone to church, but I should have been equally interested in doing my fair share of work around the farm. So, uh, yeah, but it wasn't until uh, I got cracked the nut and got inside where somebody actually came beside me and started to walk with me. And I remember uh, discovering this uh, verse in Scripture, uh, Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that was so important. At last, I had someone, not just walking beside me, but a little bit in front of me. And uh, it was so good to... um, and there are, you know, there are lots of other scriptures like that, uh, which I found uh, you know, over in Ecclesiastes 4, uh, verse um, 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. One falls down, his friend can help him up again. And I thought, yes. And of course, we all fall over. But mostly we live in isolated silos where we don't share our personal life with other people and we suffer because of it. we put on a bold facade of just keeping a nice pious smile on our face as we rock up to church each Sunday but um, mm. to me that was pure gold to have someone who would just accept me for what I was and who would walk with me and keep encouraging me forward in the fundamentals of what I was to become yeah yeah and it really speaks into the crisis that we're in in the church in australia really the the idea that um people are are christians by the fact that they have church attendance often for important for the pastor they put some money in the plate and and uh then if we can get them to the next level of going to a a growth group a a cell group or, or something like that um Great, but you know the the idea of the separation between a Christian and a disciple. They're often talked about even in two different terms in the church. That you can be a Christian without being a disciple, which is something that is so foreign to what Jesus uh, started. And uh, yeah, the, you mentioned uh, some things of uh, the essential elements of of what what it is to make disciples. And you you mentioned um, things like uh, the word things like prayer, things like obedience, uh, uh, sharing with others. Um, do you want to just um, hash out some of those essential elements that we need to form in 
the lives of disciples. Yes, I I have on my wall in the room in which I'm sitting at the moment in my study, I have uh, a carved wheel which reminds me of these elements. And if you can imagine a wheel uh, with four spokes, a hub and a rim, uh, there there's two vertical spokes. One is prayer, that's in the top, and underneath the hub there's the other vertical spoke of the word. Uh, this is where we take in, like breathing in spiritually. The horizontal spokes are witnessing and fellowship, fellowship with others and witnessing out beyond the Christian community. And this is where we're giving out, we're breathing out. The rim is obedience, the obedient Christian living the life. The rim is that which touches the earth or the environment where we are. And so as the wheel moves forward, people see just the rim. They don't see the spokes if, the, if it's moving at a reasonable speed. The other thing that people see is the hub. That is Jesus Christ. He's the center. Now, here's the critical thing. Unless those spokes are of equal size, then what happens, the hub is not in the center anymore and it's like, it becomes like a circus act. You sometimes see uh, clowns or whatever. They, they have these funny bicycles where the, the hub is off-center. And so the, the rider goes up and then he plunges down, goes up and down, up and down. And it's hilarious to watch. But in fact, that is the experience of many Christians. Up and down, up and down, their lives are ruled by emotions or circumstance or these sort of things. But if those four spokes are kept equal length, equal uh, strength, then you're perfectly moving ahead. And, of course, power is transferred from the from the, the engine or whatever to the hub out through the spokes and away you go forward. So it's an analogy which has helped me to keep things simple and to understand uh, what are the fundamentals I always have to be thinking about, working on, honing, improving or whatever. And uh, yeah. that, yeah. I learned that long ago and it's <laughs> I've never lost sight of it. So much so that, uh, you know, I have that, a wooden artifact on my wall with those things written on it. Mm, mm, mm. The essentials of um, prayer, the essentials of the word, uh, really are, are the, the relationship with God. The essentials of mission is the relationship outside of the church. And fellowship is really being connected, isn't it, yeah. with others, staying connected so you don't go... Um, off beam, but the 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 rim of obedience, um, which is the doing part of discipleship. You can't be a disciple without being following, without doing, without moving. Uh, when you're following Jesus, He's always leading you somewhere. He's always uh, saying, "Go here, let's go here." And it, when His disciples 
when they, he called them to follow him, they didn't just stop at home and learn a, th- a religious concept. They followed Jesus. They went to the next village. They they were involved in the mission. Um, so so good, so good. Um, how do you catch these things? How do I learn how to pray? If I'm I'm just stuck there and I'm going to church, how do I learn how to read the word? Um, how do I learn to do mission? Um, how do I learn obedience? What are some of the keys in not just the ideas, but how do I do it? Mm. The, these things are caught, not taught. Mm. I mean, you, you, you do teach them in a sense, but they're more caught. Uh, I have found uh, with the people with whom I worked, and, and it's the same irrespective of culture or country, that uh, I, if I'm... In discipling, I realise when you're a public speaker and you're up on a platform, you've got to, let's say, you've got to teach on the subject of prayer. Or, and I've written books on, on prayer. In fact, the mm. most influential book I've ever written was only a very small one. And I still constantly get uh, letters from people telling me how it changed their life uh, just through reading it, and I get letters from churches saying how they've been changed dramatically since this little book called The Prayer of Obedience. Those two things, prayer, linking prayer and obedience. Uh, it, it's just a, a small book. You can find it on my website uh, at mm. uh, Dr. Stuart Robinson, com. You find it there. But, but that little book, I mean, well over 100,000 of that thing has gone out. And uh, so that's that's a teaching thing, and it inspires people. But when I'm in a relationship, and discipleship is all about relationship, I don't teach on elements of prayer. I just pray, and I've seen this <laughs> with people who aren't Christians at all, and I just say, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray. And uh, they just watch this happening, and it's not long before they actually join in. And I've seen that happen here recently in Australia, and uh, and certainly in uh, my ministry overseas here in here in Australia, where I was meeting with uh, a, a leading scientist. Uh, this guy, he's got uh, two PhDs and a Doctor of Science. He's a fellow at the moment. I'm seeking to uh, disciple, and uh, he and I became friends. And he said to me, you know, all the learning that I've done, he's won international prizes and so forth. He said, I know absolutely nothing, nothing about God, point number one. So don't use any religious language with this guy. He won't understand it. Mm. Uh, number two, as I met with him, I'm, I invite him to come away to spend a couple of days with me and uh, answering all of his questions. But at the end I said, well, now, would you like to, I, 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 you know, of course, I explained to him how one uh, receives Jesus Christ, etc. I used a little illustration, which he found fascinating. And um, I said, would you like to do that? All you've got to do is pray. So how do you pray? And uh, he didn't know. I said, well, uh, look, I'll, I'll say a phrase. And if you mean it, you follow me. So I said a phrase. And after a long while, he repeated it. And then I'd say another phrase, just sort of the sinner's prayer. Then he'd repeat it. But there was always this long silence. And at the end, when I said amen, he realised, oh, that was the end. So he said amen. And he said, now, Stuart, you might have 
thing was strange. I, I've never prayed before. I don't know what you do, but I listened carefully, and you, I did repeat everything you said, but I had a long silence because I wanted to make quite sure, firstly, that I understood it, secondly, that deep down I really meant it. And I thought, wow, isn't that fascinating for a, a brand-new believer? <laughs> but in other cases, uh, just on that point of prayer, I, I would be meeting with the same persons every week, and I never, never taught them about prayer, but I'd always say, now when I meet, I'm just going to pray. And it was interesting how after a few weeks they would just follow me into that. No matter what it was, uh, I wasn't so much teaching, I was modelling, and they followed the model. Mm. Thank you, Stuart. That's, it's just been so good to really talk about the essentials of discipleship with you and how God can take an Aussie that's uh, living in the, in the country who doesn't know anything about God and through to the process of uh, dealing with the, with the church culture of the day but also discovering in the heart of that learning how to be a disciple learning how to pray, read the word obey and be on mission and be connected and the, the finishing idea of how do we do this it's caught not taught really good for the listeners who who are listening to this uh, make sure you jump into our next podcast as we discuss how god can take this aussie and cause a movement of disciples in south asia you don't want to miss it see you